Welcome to The Nine Line, your news and information source for healthcare-related issues impacting Southern Nevada veterans, and a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. And now, here's your host, Joshua Gray. Hi, and welcome to The Nine Line. I'm your host, Joshua Gray, and joining me today, we have a very special guest. He's joined us before, but he is uh, our executive director and CEO, Mr. Bill Karen. He is in charge of this whole place, and he's joining me today, and we're going to talk a little bit about where we've been and what our future looks like and, and a whole bunch of other interesting things coming up for the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. So, Mr. Karen, sir... Good morning. Thank you for joining me. Good morning. Hello, Josh. I think special guest is probably a little bit uh, overstated, but um, <laughs> happy happy to be here. You know, we said we were going to try and have you on like every six months, and I think this is only like what the second time we've had you on in the second two years yeah. we've been doing this. So time we're, flies. We're when not you're yeah having fun. <laughs> well, time flies also when you're in the middle of a pandemic, and True. there's. Uh, you've been a very very busy man, <laughs> to say the least. So. Um, we're constantly evolving here at the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System, both in response to COVID and as kind of as we look to expand our services. You know, we're one of the fastest growing VAs in the nation. Uh, we're coming up on our 10 year anniversary of this building that we're, we're sitting in here, mm-hmm. uh, opening our, our main medical center. Um, so what's been going on from from your perspective that you see that's been important over the last six months or so? Hmm. I mean, the last six months has really brought us from a the pandemic state uh, to more of an endemic state, uh, and I'm not the the um, official that would declare that transition, but it, it evolves over time. So our ability to work with the COVID-19 virus, knowing that there's going to be X amount of cases that will wax and wane, uh, there's going to be X amount of inpatients that will wax and wane, um, and, and thankfully far less uh, deaths as a result, a direct result of COVID-19. Um, th- that's where I talk about there. It really has moved to an en- endemic state. So learning to live with that new normal has been um, has been the biggest shift. Um, so we're constantly adjusting protocols and assessing the risks related to COVID because it has evolved, as you just mentioned, over the past six months. So that'll be the um, continued focus is how do you uh, evolve with this uh, infectious disease because it's one of many, 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 many infectious diseases out there. You hear a lot about monkeypox right now um, as well. So it's not that infectious disease management is new. It's just that COVID-19 was very new uh, going back two and a half, uh, almost three years now. So in in that uh, non-COVID category then yeah. in the last six months, because we have been focused on, on covid primarily for yeah. the last, what, two and a half years? And as we should have been, it's a, it's a pandemic, sure, right? Sure, sure. Um, but there's a lot of other things going on. You know, we're, we're doing things where we're expanding with partners. We've got some new access to care initiatives going on. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us a little bit uh, about those things. Right. Yeah, healthcare doesn't, um, you know, just although we dealt with the pandemic and now shifting to more endemic state, the, the pillars of healthcare don't change. I mean, we're still... We're still always uh, in pursuit of the highest quality and most safe care that we can provide for our veterans. Um, Access is always front and foremost uh, for us to figure out how do we best coordinate care for veterans, whether it's internal here to our VA uh, healthcare system or working with our DOD partners, working with our community partners, how we're going to run that 
uh, lane of effort. And then the experience related to that, I mean, you don't lose sight of that uh, either. Uh, lest we forget, we're also taxpayer funded. So we have to be good stewards of, of that money. Um, so the programming, the planning, the infrastructure tends to uh, revolve around that, those circles of quality, safety, access, and experience. Uh, and you're developing strategies and actions and, and improvement plans always within those, those lanes of effort. So that didn't stop and, and frankly has become more important because of the pent-up demand uh, for all those pauses in care and things that we dealt with a couple of years ago. So we're trying to find a normal battle rhythm and a normal cadence um, in all those lanes of effort, um, even with that new pent-up demand, which leads to hiring and infrastructure changes and those kind of things. So you said something a, a couple minutes ago about the new normal, yeah. right? And, yeah. and and that's a, a phrase I've heard yeah. bandied about for close to a year, year and a half now. Yeah. Um, is this the new normal? Like, that that seems like it's such a shifting thing. Like, yeah. I, the new normal from a year ago is different what our new normal is now. Oh, so absolutely. when, when I, I guess from your perspective, like, is, is the new normal going to be something that's constantly evolving? Or is <laughs> it, are we ever going to get to a new normal where it's just kind of a, a steady state static thing? Yeah, I think we're, we're close closer than we've ever have been because of that shift to endemic state, uh, both as a, as a nation, uh, you know, a world, uh, and certainly as a healthcare system. We're not there yet uh, because the research uh, science is always evolving. So if you're linking it directly to COVID, the new normal, we're not quite there yet. Um, it's evolved. We're, uh, we're comfortable with the science knowing w what types of things a mask might mitigate. Uh, what, there's the stuff we know, there's the stuff we think we know, and the stuff that we're just frankly not sure yet. And, that, and our researchers are working towards that um, far better now than, than two and a half years ago. But when I think of the new normal in delivery of health care, it really accelerated the use of um, the pandemic really accelerated the use of virtual care. Um, now, most veterans and most people, particularly in this country, are pretty comfortable with a telehealth type appointment. Um, that was not the case two and a half years ago. We, we, were, we were tip of the spear in it in VHA, but we were um, still, it was still a pretty small percentage. And now, frankly, uh, half the care provided in mental health, the, the grids are usually 50-50. Half of it's telehealth and health, half of it's face-to-face. -face. Primary care has gone through a shift. Now we're more towards an 80-20 face-to-face, more of a 90-10 plus on specialty care, face-to-face uh, -face versus virtual care. So that new normal in terms of healthcare delivery has evolved, uh, also leveraging home care. Uh, but I think the artificial intelligence, the technologies, those things uh, really got rapidly accelerated because of the pandemic. That is the new normal. That's not going away. Yeah, and I, I remember when I first started working here about four, four and a half years ago, yeah. one of the first things I did was we went out to do a town hall out in Pahrump. Mm -hmm. And everybody out there was outraged yeah. that, that we were asking them to use telehealth. They wanted to see a doctor. Yeah. And now you know you can't get people away from it. So yeah. Yeah. you mentioned hiring and staffing and things like that. Now, all of our projections have always been kind of based on that older model. Um, how do you handle hiring and staffing when you know, we're growing as an organization, but then also you're also going to a, a model of care that may not be all the time as, as personnel intensive. Yeah, yeah. It's um, certainly been a shift. The What VHA has recognized throughout the pandemic and what we hear from our veterans 
uh, and this has been going on for years, is if, if given the choice and if we have the capacity within their VHA, they'd prefer to be seen in their VHA. Still need to rely uh, certainly on the private sector and, and community care and our DOD partners and all that, but well over 80% of veterans typically say, uh, if you had the access and the capacity, we want to be seen in our VA. So on a national level, um, the effort is, is continues to be how do we grow that VA and now with the, uh, with the PACT Act potentially, uh, you know, has potential to clear the Senate and be signed by the president, that adds another three and a half million veterans that would now be eligible for health care across the country. What impact that would have locally here in Nevada remains to be seen. But I think those are the examples of a, of a growing health care system that performed quite well during the pandemic uh, and showed, uh, showed its mettle, for lack of a better term, on how, how we can manage emergency response and, and deal with those kinds of things. Yeah, we're going to continue to grow. Uh, now we have to look at how many people have moved here to the city of Las Vegas. You can tell just by the traffic coming into work. Um, what's the right balance? Remember we mentioned the virtual care, 80-20, 50-50, 90-10. still being ferreted out. What is the right balance? We've got a bet much better sense now than we did. Uh, so that's not going to go away. Um, we free up space by having staff telework. I mean, that's not a bad thing either. You go back to the beginning of the pandemic, yeah, there were some challenges in telework with uh, internet bandwidth, uh, the supplies, the equipment, the things that staff needed to, to work with, uh, uh, to remote in. Figuring out who can and who, who can't. can't. Who you know, can't, who can't. I remember they tried to have me telework and, you know, I do video production. I yeah. can't, I can't, I can't shoot video. How do you do home, that? Right? Yeah, that's, do that. that's tricky. So, um, yeah, and I know that was a sticky issue initially mm -hmm. trying to figure out, especially at a time when you're at the leading edge of a pandemic. You don't mm -hmm. know what's going to happen, right. how, how that virus is going to evolve, right. how dangerous it's going to be to be at work. Yeah. And yeah, we, we had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we quickly learned. Um, so telework is, is here to stay, at least on some level, but just like the clinical care and telehealth, uh, it, it remains, you still find trying to find that sweet spot, uh, so to speak, because there does need to be uh, some face-to-face some -face care and some face-to-face -face interaction. So that too will evolve, and, and we're being mindful of that. Um, and you hear about that nationally as well. Uh, speaking uh, about hiring, mm -hmm. um, specifically uh, nursing, you know, yeah. you know, that's always been something that's been a little bit difficult over the last couple of years because mm. it's finding nurses has been like trying to buy a house. Right? Yeah. It's a seller's market. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I have I have two friends who are nurses They're They live here in Vegas and they've been doing travel contracts yeah. here in Vegas. Yeah. And, and, you know, the amount of money that, that they get thrown at them to do these travel con contracts oh, is, yeah. is crazy. Right. Um, now that things are slowing down, that's kind of backing off a little bit. But when you are in that kind of an environment where mm -hmm. nurses can literally take their pick, yep. and also you do work for the federal government, you are you have a budget, you are resource constrained. Correct. How do you compete, and, and and how do you get the appropriate talent in the door when it's really you know a, a nurses market and they can pick and choose where they want to go and under what right. conditions they want to do it. Right. The, um, the silver lining or, or the blessing that came um, throughout the pandemic uh, on a national level and, and in Washington, D.C. and our, our politicals 
uh, came together with VHA, some new special hiring authorities, uh, some some changes in, in how we can rapid uh, hire fast, hire right. Some of those things have, have stayed with us, which has been helpful. Um, but you're, you're absolutely right. And now it's not, it's not just nurses. Most all healthcare professions, uh, not in totality, but most of them are in high demand right now across the country. A lot of people left, uh, retired, COVID, uh, frankly, scared a lot of people away and said, yeah, healthcare is not for me. Um, those that certainly feel that it's still their calling are still with us and still providing healthcare. So the budgets have been robust. Um, so that was one um, one positive thing. And some of the changes in, in how we hire, announce, uh, get people onboarded have been helpful. We just had um, some of the senior folks with workforce management here last week. Um, there's a very concerted effort across VHA uh, for more standardization and more ability to rapidly uh, onboard, hire, uh, announce more consistently. And one of the pitfalls uh, for the for uh, if you don't have the HR professionals to help you with that, um, that's problematic too. So one of the biggest shortages of of professions out there. We talk about the clinicians, HR folks. So if you don't have HR here um, to partner with you, pretty hard to get people, uh, get announcements out, get get certs brought back uh, <laughs> to the services and then get people hired and onboarded. Uh, but that's improved and there's some changes forthcoming. Um, hopefully that will um, recognize the unique skill set for HR folks, um, HR staff in VHA as opposed to other uh, agencies in government. Is that HR store shortage something that might be consolidated through like a, a central staffing thing? Like right. I know they do a lot, a lot of that with a lot of the finance things yep. and, and some contracting stuff. You know, the uh, there's a central location offsite that manages HR for uh, seven or eight VA healthcare systems. Is, right. is, is that something yeah. that is kind of on uh, being looked at? Or? Yeah, yeah, it's on it's on the table. Some we, we've seen a consolidation uh, shared service units in our own network our region, uh, which is um, which is al- it's always bumpy when you go through some changes at first, but that's starting to smooth out now. And as I mentioned, nationally, they're coming together and looking at best practices and how to standardize a- across the um, across the enterprise. The other thing you're seeing in terms of scheduling, call centers, some those types of things, there are areas within VHA, when you're the largest integrated healthcare system in the country, that are ripe for some standardization. There's some appropriate things you can standardize, and we've seen a lot of effort towards that particularly throughout the pandemic, which which I do think will help. Um, always a little bumpy in the short term, but long term, that will help us. And it's been a very transformational time for, Absolutely. for the VA locally and nationally, hasn't it? Yeah. Change management has never been more uh, more prevalent as, as, as in the past couple of years. Oh, excellent. Well, we're going to take a quick break, sir, and then we'll be right back. And we're going to talk a little bit about the future and, and how we're expanding here at the VA South Nevada Healthcare System. Exciting stuff. Be right back. You're listening to The Nine Line, a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. We'll be back with more right after this. Getting a flu shot helps us stay healthy so we don't miss out on what matters. Like that family movie night your daughter can't live without. (coughs) Yeah, can't do that. Every year, millions of people in the U.S. get the flu. Especially now, no one has time to miss out on moments that matter. So get your flu shot. Find out more at getmyflushot.org. Brought to you by the AMA, CDC, and the Ad Council. 
This is the story of a very special woman. Just a few knew about her superpowers. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her Mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm -mm. Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Uh. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Uh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. Welcome back to The Nine Line, Southern Nevada's source for veteran-related healthcare news and information. Here's your host, Joshua Gray. And welcome back to The Nine Line. I'm your host, Joshua Gray, joined by VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System Director, Executive Director, and CEO, Mr. Bill Karen. Sir, welcome back. Thank you. Um, so... You know, we talk about growth and, and some of the things that we're doing, and, and we've really started to shift a lot of those services that would normally require a visit here to our main facility, and, and we're starting to push those out to our, our community care clinics and, right. and, and some, some of the more outlying areas. Um, things like, you know, we've got optometry services now available at our Southwest PCC. Right. Uh, we're doing physical therapy out in Pahrump with folks. Um, so from a, from a planning perspective, mm -hmm. walk me through what happens, like how you identify a need, how you resource it, like what goes into getting all of these things. It's not just sending an autometrist to a clinic. There, right. There's a lot more that goes into it. Right, so right. Uh, walk me through a little bit, if you could, please, what, what goes into getting these services out to the community? Right. You have to know your demographic, uh, for one thing. So the as everyone's well aware, the, the city itself of Las Vegas has grown um, pretty significantly over the past two and a half, three years. Uh, and where do you see most of that growth? A tremendous amount in the southeast, southwest, um, some in the northwest, thinking of the Sky Canyon area and all that, and of course Creature Air Force Base is up there, so you're seeing some push out there. But the, but the bulk of it has been southeast, southwest. So we're a... We're a hub-and-spoke model, uh, but the medical center being tucked away in the northeast, do we have enough spokes? Um, so we have the, um, you know, they're very creatively named clinics of northwest, <laughs> northeast, <laughs> southwest, southeast, um, and they do a tremendous amount of work out there uh, and a lot of focus on primary care, mental health. We have a little bit of uh, radiology imaging lab, those types of things out there, clinical pharmacists developing the packed patient-aligned care teams out there. So demographically, you look at that and you say, how do we continue to get care out to the veterans? If I go back in time eight years ago, I could drive anywhere here in Las Vegas. Oh, I'd go anywhere in the city, probably less than 30 minutes. And now that just doesn't happen um, because of, of that growth. So we have to move 
more than we have to have more than primary care mental health uh, out at our clinics. We really need some of those specialty specialty areas out there. So we look at the things that um, that we could tuck in there pretty seamlessly and pretty quickly. Uh, developing an eye lane, as we mentioned, uh, PT uh, doesn't require a ton of space. You just need to hire the provider, get them some equipment, and start scheduling patients on there. Um, so know your demographic, and then and think of the aging. Uh, veteran population. We're seeing a shift. Our Vietnam era, era veterans are typically mid-70s right now. Um, many of our World War II veterans we, we've, we've lost and have moved on uh, to the afterlife for them. One just recently here. Uh, and, and, you know, Korea and that percentage of OEF, OIF, uh, Iraqi, Afghanistan, those veterans now are that age group is, is becoming a larger cadre of the population. So you're seeing that, that shift. Um, so you're, you're analyzing demographics. You're looking at what the, um, what the budget will support. You look across the region, across your catchment area. We're growing, growing, growing. Uh, and then you try and decide what's the ba best way to do that. The market assessments that were done as a result of the Mission Act, they were actually mandated in statute, helped us because it gave us another uh, lens of data to look through and say, okay, what makes the most sense? So uh, I, I'm hopeful that uh, although it's tough in a bureaucratic environment, the budgets have been strong, that we can cont continue to bring more specialty care out to the clinics and uh, maybe even develop a secondary hub, uh, not a full-blown hospital like we have here, uh, but maybe uh, we call them a super CBOC or a healthcare center where you could be doing uh, types of things that uh, you would see in a CBOC and then more. Uh, we talk about maybe having outpatient surgery offered in a different location, another imaging center, the types of things that we spend a lot of money on. Dental, we do a tremendous amount of dental. We have to buy that from the community because we don't have the space to increase capacity here. So those are a few examples. So when you talk about kind of the planning steps for this, especially as it regard, in regards to that growth, mm -hmm. uh, there will always be veterans. Yes. Right? Yes. But you kind of mentioned like most of the World War II veterans, and there was a massive amount of them, mm -hmm. have, have passed on they now. You know, and and there was a, a bit of a dip there through right. the Korean War, and then when we hit the Vietnam era, the the, the end states, the the, yep. the numbers of people who were serving, uh, exploded again. Yes, and now you know in the eighties it kind of declined, and then in the nineties with the end of the Cold War and the peace dividend mm. and, and all of that, even through OIF OEF, yeah, the the numbers of active people who were serving were. Were fractions of what we had in World War II right. and, and significantly less than what we had in Vietnam. So, right, right. so how do you do planning from a strategic standpoint when you know that 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 share of veterans, you know, we're not always going to have. We have a lot of Vietnam veterans in here right mm -hmm. now. Absolutely. Uh, and and you know, obviously, as people get older, they require more care. Yes. But you know, there's going to come a day. 10, 15, 20 years down the road when just the potential people to serve is going to be drastically less than what we're looking at right now. So yeah. so uh, how, how do you plan for that? Like what goes yeah. through your mind when you look at that fact? It's a... Uh, you keep watching what you know what's happening at the highest levels of government. As I mentioned, the, the PACT Act, because legislation drives eligibility. So with the increase in presumptive conditions uh, and, and PACT talks about toxic exposures and, and things of that nature, um, Camp Lejeune, the drinking water, those kinds of things, that adds three and a half million veterans that are now eligible for care. 
So even you have to look at the subset of the total population of veterans uh, and the shifting uh, care needs that they will have. You mentioned the Vietnam era veterans, certainly community living center, um, contracts with nursing homes, uh, long-term care, home-based care, uh, hospice palliative care, all those things are gonna be pretty, uh, pretty prevalent and, and we need to fill that gap. And that's the kind of stuff we work on. So we, we look at what Congress is doing. And of course, Secretary of VA is appointed by Congress. Uh, his or her priorities uh, at this point, Secretary McDon McDonough talks about advocacy, access, outcomes, and excellence. Then as a VHA, you know, the, the one of the three arms of VA, um, we look at, you know, the, the health care system itself is what are their priorities. Then we look at our region. We call it VISN21, which is just Veterans Integrated Service Network. It's an acronym for region. Um, so our region talks about how do they align priorities as a, as a region because we can leverage the region for care. That's part of our network of care whether it's this region or, or the Southern California region. So we look at that and then we align our local priorities based on what is our local demographic demanding and what are those needs. So it cascades um, throughout, throughout the organization. And then we set up our infrastructure. We have a strategic planner, strategic ops section that we work with. They work closely with engineering. They work closely with the capital asset managers in, uh, at the network level, region level, and of course they connect all the way up through VA central office. Um, so that's how this flows. I mean, you're talking about the largest integrated healthcare system in the country, 160 hospitals, uh, I think 15, 1600 clinics out there. Um, all trying to maintain some sense of alignment um, to provide the right care for veterans. You, you mentioned that we have a strategic planner here now. Yes. Um, yeah. for, for people who maybe aren't familiar with the concept, um, uh, tell me a little bit about what is strategic planning and, yeah. and how is that done here at the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System? Like, what are we looking to do? Yeah, it's um, we've had strategic operations sections in the in the past, and we've had we've had people. It's the pandemic that really uh, the Mission Act, market assessments, air commission, and pandemic that's really shift how we're going to plan. So so locally, uh, that that cadre of individuals in strategic ops is going into the weeds of the data that's coming out through Washington DC connecting with them and making sure those that that we align our local priorities together so this individual this this cadre of individuals will be working closely with the executive leadership team they'll be working with frontline staff understanding what's out there we might get a market a, a small space assessment done what kind of space do we need work very closely with engineering um, it's a multi-stakeholder involvement and a lot of data drill down in order for us to make decisions. We call them make-buy decisions. What, what, what makes the most sense for us to make and produce for our veterans? What are some things that might be best to buy? Uh, a good example is it's very difficult to get some subspecialty providers on staff purely economically because they make so much more money in the private sector and we are statutorily limited on what we can pay uh, providers. So you just know from the get-go you're going you're probably not going to be able to recruit that subspecialty that that becomes a buy decision what's the best way to buy it can it be done through the clinical resource hub of the vision can it be done with an academic affiliate can it be done with our dod partners those types that's what a strategic planning strategic ops section will be doing for us and, and that's a relatively new thing here for us uh, we've had it it just uh, hasn't been as robust and as active uh, now we've fully committed to staffing that up um, largely because of the shifts that we've seen 
as I mentioned, the Mission Act, the uh, market assessments, <clears throat> the Air Commission, which has now been sunset. There's a lot of data that come through with that. And then, of course, the pandemic has changed the um, the face of healthcare uh, for the country. So we're at a point of, of building this up now. Yes. Right. Do you see that as as a, a a potential strength or a potential opportunity or a potential you know threat? We, we haven't had this before. Yeah. Like it, it's always easier to do something when you have a, a model to go off of. Yeah. And we seem to be kind of building it from scratch here. A bit. Um, yeah. So is, is it is that a strength to be able to do that because you can take it and you're, you're not beholden to anybody else's idea of what it is and you can make it your own <laughs> yeah or or is it kind of are we behind the power curve a little bit by having to do it from a running start yeah there's always been planners and planning going on in, in va as well as vha uh, it's at the local level uh, i always say that we don't actually strategic plan in in a in a medical center or healthcare system in VA, we, we strategically align because the, the winds of priorities, eligibility, some of those things that I mentioned from a statute level and a, and a political level, they shift and they change. So our job here is to look at healthcare uh, as a whole um, and how do we align our local healthcare system with what's going on nationally, even if the winds shift. Um, so that's those lanes of effort that I was talking about earlier. You, you, don't, you don't ever sacrifice quality safety. You're always beating that, that drum. Access um, flexes and evolves uh, depending on what we can make or buy, which I talked about earlier. Uh, and you have to wrap an experience around that that's positive because by and large veterans have choices in what care they they choose to have and we don't just talk about veteran experience what's your experience as an employee here is this the best place to work in VA Southern Nevada healthcare system of course we're transparent we're taxpayer funded so are we being good stewards of those dollars so that strategic op section very important in that um, and the planning and infrastructure that wraps around that so I wouldn't say it's unique here but we do have the flexibility uh, with our strategic ops section is how do we want to build it. We decided um, more because we're more of a service line model here that we were going to do more than have a planner that's interfacing with Vizin and Nash. We, we said we're going to have a, a cadre of people that are data mining, drilling down so that we can be the tip of the spear, proactive uh, versus reactive to changes that are forthcoming. So you have a, a very singularly unique perspective on yeah. our healthcare system, right? Yeah. Most people see, I, I see the, the public relations side of, of what we do. You right. know? Most clinicians, they see their, their clinical areas. Yeah. You, you sit at the top and you see everything. So as you sit there and, and kind of survey everything that's out here before you, um, what's, what, what comes across your mind? I, I try and impress upon... Uh, staff and I, I try to make every newcomer's orientation uh, unless I'm on some type of leave um, because I really want to impress the fact that that my position in the uh, the senior leadership team we have a we have an important role but but I would argue we're the least important people in the healthcare system and that we belong at the bottom of the org chart not the top which you typically see in a traditional hierarchical model and the reason I say that is is the real work is happening with the uh, tens of millions of interactions and transactions that occur on an annual basis here. When you're doing a million visits a year, um, thousands, thousands of bed days of care, um, all with its unique interaction transaction, it'd be naive to think that, that this, this 10 person senior leadership team is driving that. Um, it's the people that are here. Um, 
so from my perspective, that resiliency and having staff feel empowered to speak up and be in alignment with our with a highly reliable organization, which is committed to to its eye care values, and and always saying that you know we understand that a highly reliable organization reflects a culture of safety, and 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 everything builds from there. So I'm proud of that. Um, I, I like. I like being in this type of role because I can filter the noise, make sure that we're uh, the political wins, those kind of things, and keep it keep staff grounded, saying this is what's important for our veterans. Always keep the veteran at the center of the conversation, uh, and and more often than not, you won't go wrong uh, in, in that respect. And I don't think it's anything different for employees. When we talk about telework and all that, you know. It, there is a balance there, and if the veterans at the center of the conversation, and we're truly being uh, mindful of the opportunities for telework, what is the right balance? Because there's some advantages to flexible schedules. There's advantages to telework. There's advantages that we can provide a very, very positive work environment, uh, work experience as well. So I do feel like a juggler at times, um, but that's okay. Uh, I enjoy that, and to see nothing warms my heart more than seeing a veteran. Uh, smile or comment uh, about the great care that he or she has here. Um, so many veterans have told me, you know, I'd be dead if it weren't for my VA, um, or I moved here to Las Vegas because I knew this VA was being built. Or you hear veterans say, you know what, it's it's getting better, it's getting better. I keep seeing it. Or when staff say that, that gives me some pride that we're uh, we're pointing true north and doing the right thing. Excellent. Well, sir, that's that's all I have. That's all the time we have for today. So thank you very much for joining us. It's been a pleasure and we look forward to seeing you again. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks, Josh. All right, folks, that'll do it for this episode of the Nine Line Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Gray, and we'll see you in two weeks. You've been listening to the Nine Line, a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. For more information about what the VA is doing for Nevada's veterans, check out our official webpage at www.lasvegas.va.gov or follow us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash lasvegasva. Thanks for listening.